What is the prosperity gospel? Why is it important for a Christian to know the truth? What position should Christians take against false teachers? Robert Uradia III is back and sits down with Chris as they discuss these questions and more on this episode of Your Church Friends. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends podcast. I am Chris, and we are continuing part two of False Prophets, False Teachers with Robert Uradia III. So I'm just going to jump into this next question. Why do some believe or follow a false teacher? So I feel like those are two separate things because you could believe something but not follow something. We know that, you know, when people say, I believe in Jesus, okay, well, so does Satan. He knows that he's true. And then even the, the, the demons, they tremble at his name and everything. So that just shows like for atheists, when they hear it and they don't tremble his name, not even the demons fell into that divisive trap. So when it's coming to believing it, it could just be something so simple as deception. They believe in it because they're being deceived. And again, if you don't know the truth, how you can know it's false? If you've never seen a real $100 bill, how are you going to know it's actually a real one? If you've never seen actually something that's authentic and that's true and that's real, you're not going to know it's actually the truth of the gospel. You're just going to think, you know, I was sick. I was looking for a healing. I started surfing the web. And then I started seeing people say, you know, it's as easily to get healed as it is to get forgiven. All you need to do is just give some money or something like that. You know what? I'll go ahead and I'll do that. And so that's why maybe some of them believe it's just because they are deceived. And that's the thing about deception. You don't know you're deceived until after you've been deceived. Until after it's actually all gone up and then you see, you know what? I came out of it. I was just deceived. So that's the thing about deception that you just have no idea, no recollection, no recollection, and you just find yourself being deceived without even knowing it. And so that's why some of them believe it. I feel like why some of them follow it is entirely different. I feel like some of them, yes, can still be deceived, but I feel like it's quite the opposite. That's exactly what they want, why they follow it. It says, I have a prosperous life. God will make me healthy, wealthy, give me comfort. That sounds pretty good to me. You know, it says, in earth as it is in heaven. And that's what heaven's like. You know, that's what I want right now. No sickness, no pain, no anything, no struggles in life. You know, I just give and I get back more. That's just what I want. And so I know it's been said that those who are under the prosperity gospel, like don't feel bad for them because that's exactly what they want. Let's uh, take a pause there. What is the prosperity gospel? Because I know we mentioned it a few times before. So let's get into some definitions for people who haven't heard heard what the prosperity gospel is or maybe are part of the prosperity gospel and Uh don't know. So advisory, yeah. <laughs> right just, just go for it. <laughs> so the prosperity gospel is anything that they're teaching for their own game. Prosperity, they basically take from Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says God has a, a prosperous life for you. And that's it. They don't talk about the struggles, the trials, nothing with it. It's just all on the up. It's on up, up, up. It's just like something that just, just keeps going up. But we know that can't be true because when we look at a heartbeat, there's ups and there's downs in his life. And if it's moving, it's showing you, hey, you're alive. Okay, when you're in those lows, you find God. When you're in those highs, you find God. But they're proclaiming the saying, there's nothing but good. And if you are sick or if you are in need, it's because you don't have enough faith. You just don't have enough faith. You just need to believe. It's because of your unbelief. That's why it says, like, you still have unbelief? You little you little people of faith. You just need to have the faith of a mustard seed and you can move mountains. But I'm sorry to tell you, I haven't seen anybody move mountains yet. So it's still showing us that their unbelief thinking is wrong. We need to be believing in the midst of our circumstance. Otherwise, we're going to be like the person in a, in a parable of the sower, the person with the rocky faith on the rocky grounds. That we have joy. We receive it with joy. But then once a trial, once an affliction comes, we lose the word of the gospel. That's what kind of the prosperity faith is. That they believe that they will get all the desires of the hearts. As long as they pray and they wish for it and they do all that. But what they totally forget is what the word says about it. So they're going into it like it's only wealth. It's only health. It's only comfort. It's only their way of succeeding. And it's nothing of 
the truth of God where it talks about the opposite. It's all love, all forgiveness, no repentance, no sin, no hell, no death, no fury of God, no wrath of God, nothing about that. Nothing's even mentioned. So they're being given only half of the gospel. And if you only study for half of a test and it's a 100, te 100 question test, and let's say you get that all 50 right, but you get the all next 50 wrong, what does that mean? You failed. So if we think that we could be right before us standing with God, only thinking, you know what? He's all love. There's nothing I need to repent from. There's nothing I need to ask forgiveness from. It's just like, if I do something wrong, I need to ask. But if I don't, it's totally just excluding the depravity and the sin nature of man. We're going to find ourselves maybe in the next passage of Matthew 7, 21 through 23, where we think, oh no, I'm right before God, but we're wrong before God. So prosperity gospel, just like any other works-based gospel, is relying on yourself kind of for that salvation. I just got to do good, you know? I, I'm a good person. But again, we don't know what scripture says that. No, there's no one good, not one. You know, I have a good heart. No, Jeremiah says the heart is desperately sick and deceitful than all else. Again, deceit. Deceiving ourselves. Oh, I have a good heart. No, you don't. I'm a good person. No, you're not. And again, like the thing, I think we're talking about it. I don't know if it was last episode or in between about the mirror. The mirror is God's law. When we look into that, we see we're not good. So again, it's our tutor to lead us to Christ. Many people think that the law is a bad thing. It's just like, oh, the law, that stinking law, you know, is trying to constrict our way of living. And I know I talked about it at a young adult's uh, service, the last one we had, you have been warned. It's just like, what law are you talking about? Is that the law, do not covet your neighbor's wife? Is that the law, do not steal, do not murder, have no other gods? Is that the thing that's cramping your lifestyle? If so, you need to change your lifestyle. So when it's talking about the law, it's talking about how God gave us this set uh, rules to obey and when it comes to the law it's commanding obedience and we know if we have belief without if we have a belief without obedience what good is that john says john three sixteen, where it talks about the famous thing for god so loved the world you know then if you go 20 verses down it says whoever believes will answer it's answer to eternal life but whoever who does not obey will enter to the wrath of god so it shows that true belief is obedience so the law is telling us be obedient but the curse of the law is that we cannot keep it and that's what the prosperity God, prosperity gospel misses is saying, no, there isn't, there is none of that, you know? There's none of that stuff that we have to obey, repent, no. But the true word shows us Moses brought the law, God, Jesus brought the gospel, that he himself was bringing that. The gospel, the law shows the problem, but the gospel gives the remedy and a solution. That Jesus said, I know you can't keep it, but I can keep it for you. So rather the law doesn't usher us out of the kingdom, but rather it ushered us into the kingdom by directing to the one alone who could keep it. So he was a law keeper for us. He was one who said, I could keep these for you. I could do this for you. And now you're under grace. And it doesn't say the law has been taken away. It says the law is fulfilled in one word of love. So when we're doing it, we're not going to want to covet our neighbor's wife. We're not going to want to have any other gods. We are going to want to love our, our Lord God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're going to want to be obedient to the parents, even though sometimes I don't want to. But we understand that it is a good thing. So we understand when we look in the mirror, we're not good. But usually we make excuses. We as Christians usually look to other Christians whose life is not an example, but an excuse. We say, well, I'm better than that Christian. Hey, I'm not doing all that, though. Look at that Christian. But we are told to look at the character of Jesus. And compared to that, we are not good. We need that grace because we see we have failed. But the prosperity gospel says, no, you're good enough. You're good. You know, you have a good heart. You, you can do fine. You're fine on your own. You just need to give more, have more faith. And that sets people off because what happens if their breakthrough doesn't come? You just didn't have enough faith. And so that ultimately just damns people and gets them into despair or into pride. Like, I am good. Like it talks about in that thing. I am good. No, you're not. It says only God is good. So you're God? No. Or I'm not good. What do I do? 
I don't have enough faith. So it just leaves people with those twin possibilities, either damnation or despair, or, or uh, pride and uh, despair. Yeah, I did it, or no, I didn't do it. And so that's why it's very dangerous to be doing that, because we'll leave a lot of people there where some people just say, my breakthrough's coming, but look at Stephen, his breakthrough didn't come, he died. Sometimes Christians get sick and they die. The breakthrough that's talked about in the Bible is the, the freeal and the breaking through of sin, hell, and death. Because what's more, again, undefeatable than that, than sin, hell, and death? That's where a breakthrough comes. And that is where if we remain faithful and we listen to the teaching of Christ and we look at the fruit and we keep following after him, we will see the prosperity gospel does not get it right. That right. is gospel. And if, if there's any adjectives to the gospel, it's wrong. Because it's the mm-hmm. gospel on its own. If you add the prosperity gospel, the woke gospel, the social justice gospel, it's not it. It is just the gospel. So if you add any adjective to it, it's a, it's a false gospel. Teaching, being taught by false teachers and being lived out by false Christians who may or may not know they may just be deceived or that's exactly what they want that's a really good point that if you add anything to the gospel then it's not the gospel if we're adding this plus that Uh, but I I did also like the the twin twin problems there with being good is that yeah if if I feel like I'm good enough then I'm I'm prideful so now I'm already in sin right I'm I'm a sinner because my pride is kicked in if if I feel like I can never reach good I can never obtain to being good then I'm in despair because then it's not worth it. I might as well go back to my life the way it was. Just need to have more faith before right. I get more faith. And with the prosperity gospel, it it does harm so much because telling people it's all about faith or about you and what you can do and God wants to bless and succeed you, well, they're missing a key ingredient to what the Bible says about the suffering of Christ and how we also have to suffer. And I, and I know no person who's done anything great for God who hasn't suffered. Yeah. Every one of us goes through a part of our life where it is the pits. It is a struggle. Every person in the Bible that God has used has gone through some form of a struggle, despair, heartache. Because it's in that time God's molding, he's shaping, and you come out, and you come out humble. You come out being able to be used, and you come out being able that you can, you understand it's not about me, it's about him. What prosperity gets wrong is it's all about me. It's all about my money. It's all about how I can get wealthy. It's all about what car I can drive, what what thing I can have. That's a big miss on that. Did we finish answering that question? Or yes. I just, did I jump in on that one with oh, the no, prosperity? Oh, no, yeah. That was done with it. But just to add to the one thing, it's a quote by Leonard Ravenhill. It says, why do we expect to be better treated than Christ was treated when he was here on earth? Yeah. I mean, they hated him, they killed him. Why do we think we're going to be treated better than that if we're followers of Christ? That's why Paul writes, if we're taking, if we're one with the sufferings of Christ, then we're going to be one with his resurrection. There's no better way to understand Christ than to understand his sufferings and what he went through as well. And usually the more... uh committed you are and faithful you are the more you are going to suffer but corinthians tells us that and romans tells us that it's better for a moment and so it's just like what they want is fame 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 prosperity but why are we going to want fame when god promises us glory there's just no comparison it just pales in comparison so that's why why do some believe it deceived why do some follow it it's exactly what they want yeah i think too that with the i guess what i want to say with it is that if if you find what you're saying the world agrees with it it's probably not right with god because if the world's agreeing with it then there's something wrong with it the gospel is an offense it is an offense to everybody it checks us at our core it offends me at my heart because it is telling me where the gaps are and if 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 you're preaching or teaching or living a lifestyle that hey people can agree with then maybe your lifestyle isn't fully 100 percent in christ and and that's another way to look at a false teacher too like if you're looking at them and they're 
they're getting put on TV and everything and it's getting quoted everywhere and anywhere. Maybe they're just not preaching the right thing because it shouldn't. The world shouldn't agree or think what God's word is actually nice for them. Yeah. They should hear that just like what Jesus did or what Peter did when he, the day of Pentecost, right? It cut their heart. It it cut inside of them that when they heard it, they were like, oh, that, that pierced me. So I, I just kind of see it that way, that if the world agrees with what you're saying, maybe re- rephrase it or check it because yeah, it may like, not be the be- best thing. Yeah, it's just like, because what Stephen says, they gnashed their teeth at him wanting to kill mm-hmm. him. That's just what they did. And he called him, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised yes. fools. It's just like, wait a second. <laughs> and so I was like, hold up. Did he? Yeah, he did. And so it's just like that. And uh, again, that's the great story of that, that in that last thing he said, do not hold us against them. And that was Saul of Tarsus right yeah. there. And because of that, he was changed and didn't hold it against him. But it reminds me of two quotes, one by Charles Spurgeon, where it says, it's a very ill sound to hear the world clap their hands and say, job well done to a Christian. It's a very ill sound to kind of hear. Very is because they're congratulating on their job where the cross is supposed to be foolishness to the world. It's supposed to be madness. They should be like, wait a second. And it kind of goes hand in hand with what John MacArthur says, where he's saying, the Bible is the most offensive book in all of humanity because no one escapes. It damns everybody. Mm-hmm. No one escapes it. And people don't like to think, what? I need to be saved. Of what? No, no, no. I'm a good person because they're under that thinking they are inherently good or they're okay, but they're not. And then that leads to another point of his where he actually says like, if the truth offends, let it offend. People have been living their whole lives in offense to God. Let them be offended for a while. And that actually kind of goes with the next point. Like, why is it important for a Christian to to know the truth. Well, go for it. You already uh, yeah. asked the question. Go yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, it, it goes right with it. It's just like, if the truth offends, let it offend. We're not trying to offend people. We're trying to preach the Bible, preach the gospel. And if it offends, we let it offend. Because, as he says, people have been living their whole lives in offense of God. Let them be offended for a while. And of course, we're not trying to, oh, I'm trying to offend you. Like, no, we're preaching the word. And again, no matter how loving we put it, sometimes people will still find offense to it. Just because, again, the only people who view correction as judgment are those who still love their sin. And that's the only reason why Christ is hated, is because sin is loved. That's the only reason why. Because when we repent, we turn from sin and we turn to Christ. So there's, again, only those twin things, going towards sin or going towards Christ. And that's why there's a separation, as uh, I believe Isaiah puts it. There's that space and that separation because what sin has done. And so it's important for Christians to know the truth because, first and foremost, Scripture is very serious about the truth. Scripture is very serious about the truth, and it says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So why we should know the truth? Because if we're, if we're not set free by the truth, we're still enslaved. We're still enslaved to lies. We're still enslaved to the old nature. We're still enslaved to sin and death. That's what we're just enslaved to. We're just still captive to that. So when people say, I've been liberated by Christ, you know, I've been liberated. But if their life is living something that's contrary to the word, what it means to be set free, then they're actually living the definition of what the Bible calls captivity. So they think I've been liberated, but they've been deceived into thinking they're liberated, but they're actually still captive to their old nature, to sin, to death to lies that's what they're still captive to so that's why it's so important that the truth because we need to know that we are in bondage and we are in chains and we are enslaved but also it's important to know that the truth because not because of what it is but who it is jesus says i am the way the truth and the life so when we're looking at it that way if we don't know the truth then we don't know him and it's very crucial if we do not have him because again we could be wrong about a lot but we cannot be wrong about the gospel and be right with god we just can't it's just impossible to say, oh, yeah, I don't know the truth. Well, do you know Jesus? Well, no. Then how are you right with him? If you don't know your proper standing before him, that you're, you're in trouble. 
you are in trouble. So if you don't know that, you're in trouble. Scripture also tells us that his word is the truth. As it says in John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. So it tells us, okay, Jesus is the truth. Your word is the truth. It also tells in 1 John 5 that the Holy Spirit is the truth. And that in 1 John 4, the Holy Spirit distinguishes the spirit of truth from error. So considering all that, it's pretty important to know the truth. Seeing not just what it is, but who it is and what it entails. If we don't know the truth from error, then we don't know the Holy Spirit. We don't know the word and we don't know Christ and we are not free. So looking at it that way, the truth is very important. And I think you mentioned it when uh, my dad was here. There's no such thing as my truth and your truth. There's only his truth. And this goes to show that further. If your truth goes against the word, okay, it's not truth. It's a deceptive lie by the father of lies. You're not following your heavenly father. You're following your cursed father again. You're following the false, the false father by the false prophets of the false teachings and you're living a false way. It just goes all in line with that. But once we do know the truth, we know that whoever the Son sets free is, is free indeed. And so that's what it tells us again. Scripture, for Christ is the Son, Christ sets us free, Christ is one with the Spirit, Christ is the truth, and Christ is the Word. And we said in the beginning was the Word of God, the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and then the Word became flesh. So we do know that Jesus is a written Word. He is one with the Spirit. He does make us free. He is the truth. He is all of that. So it's all in him. And that's just kind of the mystery of the Bible when it kind of goes with it. And once we know the truth, we all know this. And the word is where we learn this, is the truth. For without the word, what do we have? Because again, the truth is God and it shows us the means by to be saved. And it's the Holy Spirit conveying the power through it. That's how it's being channeling through. And so it's very important when we're listening to a pastor, we're not listening with an open mind. We're listening with an open Bible. The banks of acceptance have to come through the rivers of truth. If they don't, we're going to be, oh, it sounds good. We're not thinking, oh, is it biblical? We're thinking, oh, it sounds good. We're not thinking, is it true? So we must listen to open pastors and open teachers and open whatever, whoever's proclaiming the word of God, not with an open mind, but with an open Bible. Because it says to guard your hearts, guard your minds, put on the full armor of God. And if you don't, we're going to be in trouble. No wonder we have the arrows of the enemy all over us because we're not ready. We're not taking that word. We're not taking a store. We're not having a helmet of salvation on because we're not getting this word right because we don't know the truth about it. So it's very important to know all of that. And once we do, everything kind of starts to fall into place. And that's why it's so important to learn a Bible because if we don't, we don't know when some slick talking teacher is saying something that contradicts what God said. We just won't. And if we aren't students of the word, we are in danger of being led by what sounds good rather than what is biblical. And I believe Genesis 3 paints a perfect picture of that. The fall of man. Actually, why? Why it happens because Eve didn't know God's word as well as she should have. She just didn't. We know how it talks about it and how it goes into it. And I'm just going to make a little comparing contrast with what God told Adam to what Eve was saying. What God said to versus what she said in, in her own words to that. So the reason why she was deceived is because she did not know God's word as well as she should. Genesis 2, 16-17 says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat from it, you will surely die. Then this is what Eve said about her own interpretation of Genesis 2, but she says it in Genesis 3, verses 2 to 3. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. First, Eve forgot to include some keywords. We just know that we could see that right off the bat. She omitted two words. God said, from the tree of the garden, you may eat freely. But Eve said, from the, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. She took out freely. So in doing that, Eve did not say freely. She minimized the graciousness of God and his generosity. 
She just did. She took that away. God said, then the day you eat it, you will surely die. Eve did not say that. Eve said, you shall not eat from it or you will die. Eve did not say surely die and minimize the certainty and the severity of God's response and his judgment. And that's what's going on a lot today. No, no, we don't need the judgment of God. We just need, you know, his love. But it goes together. Same coin, different sides. This is exactly what Satan wants you to believe. God's not that good and the consequences are not all that bad. It's exactly what he wants you to believe. Mm. But it gets worse. Eve failed to say that God commanded their obedience. She also added the phrase, shall not touch it. God never said that. God did say that trees had a name. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. However, Eve did not identify the tree as God did. She called it the tree which is in the middle of the garden. She lumped it together with all the others and was basically saying, you know, it really doesn't matter. Eh, it's not that big of a deal. What God said, no, his word, what he commanded, what he, it was his written word. Ah, ah, it's all right. It's whatever. But it still gets worse from there. Eve did not refer to God as his covenant name that was used in Genesis 2 to 16 when it said the Lord God commanded. And that actually means the Lord God is Yahweh Elohim. She did not say that. Instead, she follows in the foots of Satan when he just says God, not Lord God, not Yahweh Elohim, but just Elohim. He said, indeed, has God said. For Eve repeated Satan in Genesis 3, 3, God has said, not the Lord God has said. She did not give God his covenant name as creator in recognition of everything. She was not speaking of them as him, as covenant creator who gave breath of life and whom they walked in deep relationship. He's just, you know, God. So she's very taken out a lot. He omitted freely. She omitted freely, surely, resisted the command, added, shall not touch, did not name the tree, and lastly, did not call God by his covenant name. Because she did not know the word of God as well as she should have, she gave into her temptation and was deceived. She missed the mark. Maybe if she would have known God's word better, she would have been like, no, it's not just God, the Lord God said this. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, I shall not eat it because I will surely die, not what you're saying. So when it comes to false teachers as well, when we know God's word and they're saying something that contradicts it, we're going to be like, hey, no, it is written that it says this, not what you're saying. You're taking stuff out and you're adding revelations and it's the last book of the Bible and the last chapter of the Bible and it's last exhortation and it's urge. It tells us about the consequences of when we add and when we subtract from the word of God. It does that in Deuteronomy. It does that in other passages as well. But it says to the one who adds to the prophecies of this book, the plagues will be added unto him. And to the one who subtracts, his name shall be tracted from the tree of life. So it's very clear that we are not to add or subtract from the word of God. And that's what we kind of miss is that sometimes that say they subtract. We're thinking, oh, they're not adding to it, but they're subtracting from it. You know, they're, they're saying love, which is all right, but they're subtracting his discipline, his, his wrath, and all of the above. And so it's very clear that we need to know his word and we cannot add or subtract to it. Not realizing she was facing the wrong way, aiming the wrong target and looking at the wrong direction, she missed the mark. She was led astray. Just like why Jesus has warned us that we are not led astray. For in the last days, many Christ will appear to lead astray many. She was led astray. This happens when we don't know God's word as well as we should. Once we know the word of God, we know truth from error. We know what's true and what's false. Because again, how do we know what's false without knowing the truth? That's where we see it right there. And so when it comes to the word of God, we will not run to what is true and turn until we learn to turn from what is false. It's so important to know the truth from 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 not the truth. And I think really what it boils down to is if I don't know what the, the truth is, I'm not going to know what the lie is. Yeah. And I think you mentioned it earlier, the counterfeit part, right? Yeah. Most people who make counterfeit money, they're not making something that's way, way off from the mark, right? They're not making the counterfeit money so unrecognizable that you're yeah. like, 
can clearly tell that this is monopoly money or something like that, right? The counterfeit is as close to the real thing as possible. And that's where we need to know the truth because a counterfeit can look just as good. It's the same thing with the false teacher. They can look just as good. The prosperity gospel we talked about sounds good. It sounds great. But when it's missing, they're key ingredients. It's missing the little fine details. The same thing with, what was the other one you mentioned? The social gospel? The social justice gospel, yeah. It's not God's justice, the social justice. Yes. It's all those things. They they sound so good. They sound so pleasant. They, They seem like they're right. But at the end of the day, they're missing just the one thing that makes them truth. So if we don't know the truth, we're not going to see it. Yeah, we're not going to be set free. Mm. We're not going to. We're not going to know Jesus. We're not going to know the Holy Spirit. We're not going to know the Word. We're not going to know a lot. Mm-hmm. And when you basically look at it, you're not going to know who Jesus is. And that's the one thing. That's the one sin that's really going to get to people. They don't know who Jesus is. And it's important. Uh, the 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 yeah. fact that you have to know who God is. Yeah. I don't have to agree with what everything that says in my Bible uh, in the sense of like, let me rephrase that. I don't have to like everything that I read in the Bible. Yeah, I was about to say, um, I think we're talking about false teachers yeah, here. Yeah, and I'm about to hit one. So application. Uh, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to like everything that's written in there. Yeah. But I can't say I agree to disagree with my Bible. Yeah. You know, I think that's a, a thing that people do. They take out what they want. They, they put in there. And in that instance, they've created their own truth. And I, like I've said, we've, I've mentioned that before. When we create our truth, it's no longer the truth. Jesus is the truth. So anything defined outside of that is not the truth. I, I can't say I like Jesus because he loved and healed people. But I don't like God of the Old Testament because he killed and damned people. It's the same It's one. the same people. It's yeah. the same thing. You, you can't take one without the other. I, I read somewhere that if you have the if you take the New Testament without the Old Testament, you're like a person with one leg. Yeah. And you're unbalanced in your faith, you're unbalanced in your life. And and that's just the truth of it. We need the truth, the complete truth. Sometimes truth does hurt. Sometimes truth is not fun. Sometimes the truth isn't the thing I want to hear. But the truth still stands for what it is. The truth. I really like that. Let's go on to the last question then. All right. But before you answer that question, let's catch up with HIPAA and CRIT and hear where they are at collecting money for the Help Us Look Good While We Give to the Needy Organization. Let's welcome back your hosts, HIPAA and CRIT. HIPAA, look at all that money we raised tonight. Aren't we just the best? Hippa? Hippa, where are you? I crit. I'm right here. What's wrong with your face? It looks all disfigured. I care so much about our wonderful charity to help us look good as we give to the needy organization that I decided to fast for us to raise all the money needed. Fasting? See, that's how I know you're much more spiritual than I am. Bravo to you for coming out here and letting us all know that you're fasting for this amazing cause. Everyone, let's get HIPAA a round of applause. Your praise is all I can ask for and definitely all the reward I need. You know, I say you can tell how spiritual someone is by how miserable they look. That's right. Well, as HIPAA keeps fasting, let me remind you, the audience, that you can call one 800 555 give or venmo us at hippa and crit looks good 5 with a simple donation as small as $1000 we're able to get together food supplies clothing and other necessities but the most important part is the card within the package that says from hippa crit and friends so give now 
and give generously. Here's a good one. What position should Christians take against false teachers? So going like in line with what we just previously said, we will not run to what is true until we learn to turn from what is false. We need to have two different voices we use. We just need to have two voices that we use often that we use well. One is that we speak up to declare the truth. That is one voice which we should have. And the other voice we should speak is uh, we should use it to speak against error. So those are the two voices we have. I know a pastor said, as a shepherd, as a pastor, as the leader of the flock, we need to have two voices, one that gathers in the sheep and the other one that turns away the wolves. That is what we should have. And I felt like I apply that for us as well, that we need to have one voice that proclaims the truth, you know, and love. But then we have the other one that's more stern and is unambiguous. And it's just like, no, I'm going to turn away this error. No. No, this is what the truth says. So one, it's speaking love in the truth. It's, you know, it's kind, it's gentle, but it's firm when it needs to. But when it's coming against error, it stands firm. Because like how you said, the Old Testament and New Testament, no, not that God. It does remind me of most of the words uh, that kind of sit very unsettling with us that speak of the pit, Golgotha, place of the skull, the depths, hell, Hades, all that all comes from the lips and the mouth of Jesus. All of them do. The weaving and gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness, they all come from him. So if people say, oh, that's all Old Testament. Well, no. Um, no one spoke more about hell than Jesus. No other prophet did. He did. So the fact that he talked about it is important, but the fact that he talked about it the most out of any other prophet is even more important. And so when people try to say that, well, no, that's all Old Testament. No, it's not. It's actually uh, Jesus came with the message, repent or perish. And that's the same message hasn't changed for 2000 years. He says for repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you don't, you will all likewise perish. And so that has just been a thing from there. So that's the stance we should take is having those two kind of voices as well. One to proclaim the truth and love and the other one to speak out against error in that firm and in that unflinching kind of way where we just know the truth. We stand by the truth. We have to live it, defend it, speak it, and just preach it. That is just what we need to do. We need to stand by the scripture, stand by the word, proclaim it to the end. No matter who comes against it, we're like, this is the word of God. But it's also need to know how to defend it as well. We People usually want to reason before like, well, why why does it say that and that's when we know more of the word when we know the truth we will be able to defend it that starts to get into apologetics and all that kind of stuff but it, it's very important and i see most young christians and uh a lot of christians don't know how to defend it nowadays yeah so many of them don't know how to defend a faith they don't even know what they believe why they believe and how to live it or even how to share it so when it comes to taking a stance against false teachers what do we expect them to do and so that's why the truth is so important in knowing it. So once we know the truth, we will understand how to take this position against false teachers. Because again, they're not speaking the truth. The name is in a title. They're false teachers. They're not truth teachers. They are false teachers. And when they're doing that, once we know actually the truth from it, we're going to know how to go against it, what, posi what position to take against it, and ultimately how to defend our stance against that once we know the truth. So knowing the truth and what position we take go hand in hand. If you think you could know what position to take without knowing the truth, you can't because it's it's false. It's a false teacher. So we need to know how to do that. So we need to have our two different voices, one that declares and peaks for the truth and the other one that goes against error. And I feel like what we also should be doing it, as it says in John 10, 10, when it says Jesus is the shepherd and you know how he uh, calls in a sheep and they know, a sheep know his voice and he knows him by name and all that. And then it says, then a thief tries to come in through the window. But the sheep do not recognize it because it's a stranger and the sheep flee. And that's a position I think we should also take as well. We should flee from it, have nothing to do with it. We need to flee from it and we need to run from it. That's why we will not turn and want, run to what is true until we learn to turn and run from what is false. So once we do, we will flee from it. We will understand you're a stranger, 
I don't know who you are or what business you have doing here, but this is not the truth and we flee from it. The next, I think we need to warn those and expose it as well because we fled from it. Just like it says, flee from idolatry, but then it says, guard yourselves from it as well. So we flee from it and then we're going to warn those and expose it as well. Again, expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness, bring it into the light. And it only has one of two choices when it's brought into the light, either be corrected and conform to the light or go back into the darkness. That's the only things it has. It can't be like, well, I'm going to be going back and forth, back and forth. No, you're going to have to choose one or the other. So we need to flee from it. We need to run from it. But then once it happens, we need to expose and we need to warn those who are under like, hey, but it's much more than just a physical thing. We need to actually start praying and interceding for that person as well that is under it because it's a spiritual thing. That's why false teachers, false prophets are far more dangerous than military threats, than fascists, than dictators, because they are going to kill the body. But false teachers are killing the soul. And that's why it cannot just be done by physical means. It needs to be done by spiritual means. When we know somebody, we're praying for them. We're fasting for them. We're interceding for them because their soul is in the balance in that. If they keep listening to that, it's going to be heading to their own destruction as it talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3. And so we know that that is what it's at. But what is actually going on, it's a spiritual thing. So once we flee from it, once we run from it, we need to warn and expose those. But then we also need to pray and intercede. And then finally... We need to be intolerant and we actually need to be angry with it. Because when it comes down to it, how it says it, I think it's in Ephesians 5, where it's actually talking about falsehood and it says, be angry and do not sin. And yet do not sin. That word yet is actually not in there. So it's talking, be angry, don't sin. So it's talking to be angry at the falsehood. Be angry at the sin. It's a pastor says, I forgot, it's a guy, I think maybe Jonathan Edwards. says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And actually, word where it's talking about be angry, it's actually in a Greek word. It's not the one, it's just like a sudden upburst of anger. It's one that says it's the anger that's always there. Hmm. It's always there. It's just like the illustration of a volcano. You have the magma, you have everything underneath the lava. But then when it comes up, boom, people think it's that anger, like don't let the sun go down in that bursting anger. But no, it's actually saying, don't let the sun go down that anger of the sin of the falsehood. Let it always be there. Let it always be there. It's not like that emotional anger. It's that anger. We love the things God loves and we hate the things that God hates. Sin. Falsehood. You look at Proverbs 6 where it says there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Lies is the only thing on there that's twice on that list. When it comes to falsehood, when it comes to false teachers, we know it's a lie. We know who the followers of lies is. So when it's actually talking about when it's saying that being intolerant, we need to be angry at it. We need to not let the sun go down to anger. And then the next verse right after is that, do not give the enemy an opportunity. And when we don't keep angry at it, when we don't pray, when we don't warn, when we don't flee, we give them that opportunity to come in and divide. People say doctrine divides, and it's true. It divides truth from error. It really does. Again, we could be in error in some doctrine where it's like, okay, it's like, you know, just different outlooks on it. But if it's a heresy, when it's something like, no, this goes contrary and completely against the word of God, which is basically the Antichrist. It's instead of God and opposed to God. That's why when it's coming down to it, when we're looking at false teachings, it has never been taken lightly. All we have to do is check back in with our word. When it comes to Christ, he called out false teachers who gave inaccurate, twisted, and incorrect teaching of the, of the Bible as hypocrites, brood of vipers, children of hell. John called them out as false prophets, those who are trying to deceive, antichrist. Paul even called false pro- told pro- false prophets and false teachers to go castrate themselves. That's pretty severe for all that. It's never been taken lightly. But nowadays, it's just like tolerance is a, it's like a key virtue now. And it's never been that in the Bible. It says, yeah, we got to be patient. We got to be kind. But it never says tolerant to that. If you look at the 
1 Corinthians 13 passage to think of love, it never says that love does not hate. It's not in there because since we do love, we hate the things that go against love. Just sin, wickedness, evil, darkness. We hate all things. Why? Because God hates those things. Before we were one with those things. But then we see that he is a God of light and he brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Chosen generation. And now we're going against those principalities, those evil things of the darkness that are there. And that is what we're doing. We are calling it out. We are warning those of it. We are fleeing from it. We're going to be angry at it, but we're going to be praying for those in it as well. We're going to be speaking the truth in love, but we are keeping to the truth as well. And we're going to be showing the love of God that he's trying to warn. So it is a Holy Spirit living within us then that shall keep us away from false teachings that go against him. Because again, he is the truth and he distinguishes truth from error. So sometimes when we just can't tell, like, I can't put my finger on it. It's the Holy Spirit telling us, hey, that's not the written word. I know the written word. I'm one with the written word. That's not it. So we may not know right away, but we're, if we're in our word, if we're in our Bible, if we're doing that, we, the Holy Spirit will let us know. But if we're not, we may be like Eve, not knowing the word like we should and find ourselves being deceived. And, uh, oh, no, God didn't say that. And that's the thing. When the enemy first came, he didn't say, you know, you shall not murder, join that. He, he just said, did God really say that? Did he really say that? And that's where we see it right there. The enemy doesn't come and whisper to us, believe in me. No, he says, no, believe in yourself. You know what's right. No, 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 that sounds good. Go ahead, follow after it. So when it comes to it, we really need to take a firm and strong stance against it. One, because of false teachers and their destructive influence, believers must constantly test the teachings they hear with scripture. They must constantly do it. First John 4, 1 speaks to that. Not everyone who speaks, speaks from the spirit of God, for there's many spirits out in the world and many false prophets have come. It tells us that right there. And that's where we see discernment right there. Muhammad thought he heard from God. People who came up with a uh, Muslim and uh, the Mormon faith thought, oh, I had a dream and thing from God, but they did not test the spirits. And there is spirits out there because Timothy tells us that some will fall away in the later days because they have followed the deceitful and the demons of doctrines, doctrines of demons. So yes, when people say I'm spiritual, I'm like, okay, what spirit is it? When people say, oh, I follow Jesus. Okay, which Jesus is it? Because we know there's false Jesuses out there today. And so when you're doing that, it's, you have to almost like ask into it now. I'm a Christian. Okay, yeah. So what do you believe? Oh, yeah, you have to be baptized. I've had Christians tell me if you're not baptized and you don't baptize people, you're not saved. You're going to hell. No. <laughs> uh, Paul even said, I did not come to baptize, but I came to preach the word. And if anything, if Paul was supposed to be doing something, he would have been doing it. But he was preaching the word like no other. And he even said, I'm glad I baptized none of you. And so we're seeing it's not about works. It's about believing in the truth, repenting, and having faith, again, rooted in obedience. That is what it's all about. So it's about constantly testing things with what we hear in Scripture. Two, because of a false teacher and their destructive influence, believers must be discerning without being judgmental. We talked about that, went through that and everything. There's a difference, not looking on the outer appearance, but judging with righteous judgment, looking at the fruits that they bear. But in time, we may know even if all the outward stuff looks good and they sound good, time will tell. Time will tell. Not just time. People used to say time heals all things, but that's wrong. Time with Jesus heals all things. Time with Jesus will show all things because time just kills all things. The more time goes on, the older we get, the more we break down. But with Jesus in heaven, it's, it's been said that the oldest angel is there. Oldest angel is there is probably the one that looks the youngest and is because it just rejuvenates and gives everything back. We just don't know. But time with Jesus does heal all things and time with Jesus does expose all things. And then three, because of a false teacher and their destructive influences, believers must become mature to protect themselves through deeply studying and knowing the word of God. Because again, if it's just all service level knowledge with those false teachers who sound right, we're not going to know. But it's going to be that one thing, not what's right and wrong, but what's right and almost right. So we need to have that deep, deep connection as it talks about in Psalms 1, not 
walking in the counsel of the wicked, not standing in the path of sinners, not sitting in a seat of scoffers, but we're going to be the wise man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. We're going to be like that tree firmly planted that does not fear when a heat comes, but we're always going to be there for our seasons and we know that God is still there. We're going to be like that mature Christian it's talked about, but if not, we may be swept away like the shaft that's talked about as well. When it goes into fire, the shaft is burned, but tell that we're going to be like gold, that's when we're going to shine and we're going to understand it in there. And lastly, because a false teacher and their destructive influence, believers must not only become a church to protect themselves, but also so that they can protect others as well. So when it all boils down to it, it's knowing the truth because the truth sets us free. Because whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. Because the Holy Spirit is the truth. He tells us the truth from error and because Jesus is the truth. So we must take the stance against it as they took, not tolerant of it. They're not going to be, okay, oh well, yeah, you know what, no, it's okay. They're helping you in that, like, no. They are ultimately doing more harm than good. He says, like, this little... This false teaching is like a little yeast of dough. I forgot how that expression goes of it, where it's just like, it's just a little bit. It's like a lump of dough and everything where it's basically spoiling the whole thing. It's just like, I know my dad or pastor always says, it's just like, if I made you chocolate cake and I put a little poop in it, is that okay? No, you're not going to eat that cake, right? <laughs> you just won't. So it's the same thing with this. If there's just a little bit in there, it taints the whole thing. Yeah. It just taints the whole thing. So many are heading down the broad road to destruction as talked about in the previous one because of a false teacher as talked about in the one we're in right now. And because of it, the ones that are doing it, the ones that are in it, are in a very dangerous position. And therefore, Scripture commonly warns us against it because it's not just, oh yeah, well, you know, make it like, oh, God tell you not to do that. No, the next passage tells us why it's so important. Because many will say, and he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so when you put it all together and keep it in its proper setting and context, we actually see why it's so important. Because we're going to have to decide what road we're on, narrow, broad, by who we listen to, by the fruits that they bear, and by that it's going to determine our spiritual destination. Eternal life with Christ or eternal punishment, which was reserved for the devil and the fallen angels. Comes down to it. The appearance, their appearance and influence are inevitable. We are going to know they're going to be there. Jesus tells they're going to be in there, but we can recognize them by their fruit. But again, if we're not in our word, we're not going to know. So being able to recognize them will protect you and others from this destructive influence. And so it's our job to, yes, speak the truth, but then also go against the falsehood and to warn, to flee, to pray, and to ultimately expose. The flee, get away from it. Get as far away from false teaching as possible. How do we combat it? Because I think uh, when, I, when I think of combat, like how do I attack? How do I go yeah. after? Well, first thing, just get away from it. Yeah. And then the other thing is warn and expose. Yes, tell other people this isn't right. That's not the truth. But they're the last two, I think, were the most important thing that what you said there was pray. Because what does Jesus say? Love your enemy and pray, pray for them. So a false teacher is actually an enemy to us because they're teaching contrary to what Christ is. And a lot of times we want to take attack mode, right? We want to go after them, chop them down, bring them down lower. We want to expose them in a public setting and say, look at them. They're frauds. They're not, they're not who they say they should be. But Jesus tells us pray for them. Why? Because I want them to change. I want them to actually know the truth so that their life can be changed, so that their salvation can be there. And then the last one I liked is intolerant. We, yeah, I think the, the big problem that we have with combating false teachers nowadays is that we don't take a hard stance on it. And there are things we need to start taking a hard stance today. Christians today need to start taking some hard stances on because if we don't, we're losing. Yeah. We're going to lose this world. We're going to lose this to the culture of the world. We're going to lose it to the culture of Satan. And what Jesus sets up in the Sermon on the Mount, what I've learned is that we are 
this is heaven culture. He laid out the culture of heaven and says, go live it. And I need to bring that culture here to the people around me. Because if I'm not bringing that culture, then they're going to get influenced by the culture around, around, around us. Man, that was a lot of good stuff. Yeah, that was a lot. It was a lot. Just to add to that one point, like the heaven culture and everything. You know, in heaven, it's like our father who art in heaven, thy will be done, your will be done. That's heaven culture, his will. And how are we going to know his will, his word? So we cannot know his will without knowing his word. And it all goes back to that word because it reflects his will. Like if it goes against his word, it's not his will. If it goes against his will, if it goes against his word, it's not his will. And if it's not in the word of God, it's not the will of God. It, it just doesn't go that way. And I remember having a conversation with this person who, I'll just say his name, Furtick and everything, who like posting everything like that. And uh, when I asked, well, what about when he said God broke the law for love? I'm like, well, that's a good point. Let me get back to you. But let me ask you something. Have you ever said anything that wasn't 100% theologically correct? And we look at disciples, she's on a day-to-day life. She's constantly doing that. And I respond, I was like, absolutely, I have. But I make sure when, if ever I'm speaking to people, I am doing my due diligence. I am in the word of God. Because if you clearly look, it clearly states that God said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I did not break it. I brought it to what it was supposed to be. So that is something that just shows either ignorance or arrogance. And for the longest time, I struggled. What's worse, being a pastor? Being ignorant of the word or being arrogant of the word? Not knowing or not caring. It's like the dad joke. What's the difference between ignorance and arrogance? I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> it's just like that. It's just like I came to the point that arrogance was worse. Yeah. Not caring. It's just at least you can say, I was deceived. I didn't know. But when you know and you don't care, it's just like that. So I responded with, yeah, the disciples in their day-to-day life, they fell, they tripped, they falled. But what does the word tell us? That I was not hurled headlong because you upheld me. And when it came to their, and I asked this person, when it came to their preaching and their uh, declaration of the word, where was the error? You won't find it. So when it comes to that, we need to really be diligent in that. And if we do find something, we need to allow to be corrected. If we are not, and if we think you can't correct me, no, uh-uh. That may be a sign that we're listening or we are possibly a false teacher and under a false doctrine and living a false way. Good stuff, man. All right, let's wrap this show up. I'm Chris for Robert. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. No problem. Good stuff, man. All righty. That one was a little shorter. What a great show. Now, before you leave, can you and everybody listening do us a small favor by leaving a five-star rating, a quick review of how this podcast has helped you, and subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcasting platform you listen on. This will help us get our podcast to more listeners. Finally, don't forget about our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. We got videos up that will take you through the whole book of Philippians, all the previous episodes of the podcast, and more content to be added soon. It's yourchurchfriends.rocks. Why? Because we rock.